Hello everyone. Once again let me welcome you to this the 11th episode in our multi-part series involving a thorough consideration of the 18th chapter of the Book of the Revelation. In this presentation, by way of the following introductory remarks, we will be taking a look at America the Beautiful from a slightly different perspective, I guess you might say, in our ongoing drive to establish beyond a shadow of a doubt that the United States of America is indeed John the Revelator's, Babylon the Great. The primary issue we will explore is, the beauty of America, from God's perspective. Knowing as we do His Word and His will, as well as the history of this country, just how, beautiful, can she be, in holy eyes? Is she indeed, Christian? Are her origins in fact, Christian? What kind of a nation did the so-called, Founding Fathers, envision when they drafted the documents formalizing the founding of this country? Were these fathers actually Christians? What can we learn about her from the observations and insights of her leading preachers, notwithstanding their own shortcomings and failings? My name is Carol, and I will be your host on this segment of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass, written by Mr. Alvin Mitchell. So, with that, let's get started, shall we? Babylon the Great. America the Beautiful? Introduction. Without question, use of the term Babylon here is altogether metaphorical. Our God is a master who makes common use of metaphor throughout his word. Its use here is not meant to envision actual Babylon, which when originally destroyed was clearly never to be built again, although, contrary to the express will and plan of the Almighty, some reconstruction has been begun, and it is said that Iraq's ex-dictator Saddam Hussein entertained hopes of the ancient city's eventual resurrection. It appears that the cogwheels of his dream were physically in motion, and reconstruction well underway, at the time of his capture by U.S. forces, and his subsequent execution at the hands of Iraqi justice. But, who is this Babylon, over whose demise the heavens make so joyous a fuss? See sidebar below, Armageddon and Brazil Rising, page 97. Great political, socio-economic institutions and military powers have fallen before, with little fanfare, beyond transient relief, so, why such delight here? Why the ecstasy? Why such euphoria? In the wake of our understanding of the previous chapter, Revelation chapter 17, is this yet another metaphor for the woman who is that, great city? If Rome or even all of Italy, including the Vatican City, were to disappear from the face of the earth today, what would be the real, net realizable, impact on the global economy? For, without question, Vatican City, home of the great whore is the cuz, behind the inscription, Babylon the Great, scribbled across the forehead of the woman in chapter 17. Would she, the woman, who is Rome, be missed to the degree inferred here, by John the Revelator? Is her presence and participation in international affairs, backed by the weight of Italy's roughly 58 million souls, significantly indispensable, would she not have to be, for the ramifications of this prophecy to have meaningful implication on her behalf? What does the scope of the influence of the Babylon the Great alluded to here indicate or suggest? Moreover, while being yet analogous of the Vatican City, if indeed it is at all, could the God of all heaven and earth have conceived and patented this label so as to have, as well, a dual application, recall, if you will, that each of the images central to the unveiling of the great whore in chapter 17 i.e. the woman, the beast and the seven heads carried a dual application. 
Incontestably, in our mechanized, industrialized, computerized age, having demonstrated great ability to adapt, adopt and change with the times, Rome even today is only a shadow of her ancient self, although she may still be a very present force in global politics and economics. She is in no sense, however, the domineering power she was in the centuries surrounding the birth of our Lord. In addition, one can say without wavering that, there is positively no room for question as but that it is the burning desire, the longing, the sovereign intent of the Almighty to see to it that this chief city of the Italians is duly rewarded for her part in the wrongs and atrocities perpetrated against his people, Jew and Gentile, are Christian. She will be taken to task as well for the false, idolatrous image of him portrayed daily for millennia before an unsuspecting world, ostensibly in his name. This image was propagated initially by force. The world was held in the darkness of spiritual blindness and kept ignorant of the word of God at the point of the sword. To meet the demand for her high-profiled execution, she will be allowed to rise to world prominence once more the last and only one who will ever be allowed to achieve total world domination, just so that he will have the pleasure of watching her leveled once and for all product of a divinely orchestrated double cross, in which the beast and his confederacy of ten nations will turn on her, although she will doubtless be hugely responsible for his initial rise to global recognition. Nonetheless, the question persists. Although on the one hand, without controversy, Babylon the Great metaphorically alludes to an institution of Italian centrality, the woman, must it therefore on the other hand, as well? That is, are the two utterly despised personas of Reverend 17 and Revelation chapter 18 the same? Or, put another way, based squarely upon the profile, yes. Profile. The information given in each case is a profile, containing the clearly distinguishable and distinct parameters and identifiers for each set forth in both those chapters, why must Babylon the Great be any, but, the United States of America? America the Beautiful? According to whom? There is a generation that, curses father and mother, pure in its own eyes, oh! How their eyes are lifted up with pride and arrogance, having teeth like swords and jaw teeth like knives. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 11 to 14. Do not think within your hearts, it is for my righteousness that the Lord has blessed me, in giving to me this land, it is in fact neither for your righteousness, nor for the uprightness of your heart, as rather it is for the wickedness of these nations that you have been given this land. You are in fact a rebellious and obstinate people. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verses 4 to 29. It is not for you, O Israel. But for my own holy name's sake. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22 to 24, 32. The Jews are here cautioned against getting the big head or a bloated ego in light of God's evident favor toward and his preservation of them in the midst of insurmountable odds and danger. In the final analysis, they will not be as much the focus of his efforts as they are now and they will be then, puns to their advantage in light of his eternal plan and promises to Adam, Abraham, Jacob and Isaac, Moses and King David, his eternal scheme being to increase his name's recognition among rebel men, so as to save as many as possible before Armageddon. As is the difficulty in squeezing camels through the eyes of needles, so is likely to be the difficulty of getting American Christians saved, Protestants, or otherwise. In fact, things are sufficiently bad so that, in the U.S., 
Christians of other countries should be afraid, be very much afraid. One might rightly argue now, today, that, should you find yourself standing near an American Christian in the afterlife, you probably did not make it to heaven. Neither the pages of time nor any journal of history has ever known a nation as great as that of these United States of America. None has ever enjoyed such privilege, material wealth, prosperity, global reach and recognition as she has. Not even the people of the book, the apple of his eye the wellspring, hand-picked and personally selected, from whence sprang the flow of the Lamb's blood which washes away all our sin no, not even they, as a discreet people group or nation, can claim this distinction. These United States of America did not just happen by accident, nor is she the product of her own strength or resolve. Though it could be argued and that rightly so that she is the brainchild of the Holy One of the Jews and the ancient Israelis her existence owes nothing to any supposed goodness or righteousness surpassing that of any other, as certain of her religious leaders are sometimes quick to infer. He who sits in the heavens, watching and weighing hearts, would not have his hand-picked people forget. Certainly, he will not have her forget that she is not the product of her own doing, i.e., those white evangelicals and fundamentalists who are quick to point to a fabled righteousness and godliness of their white forefathers as the basis and reason God chose to bless this nation are all liars. This being the case, she is therefore, in some sense, an oddball amongst the nations, as, historically and presently, she does, having done so from the beginning, exhibit all the traits and characteristics which keep all the other nations, past and present, from experiencing the same level of prosperity initially downplaying that which without doubt is key and bedrock to all her current successes, resources, education of the masses, freedom for all God. If not for the hand of the Supreme Almighty One, eternal and self-existing, bitten as that holy hand is by this current generation of Americans, she as a nation would without doubt have long ago ceased to be. Absent the hand of God, there is no rational reason why she should have arisen, late in the game of life, only to transcend nations stronger, and of longer standing than she. But, should this prove true, and in light of the chapter 18 profile, what then specifically could possibly make her Babylon the Great, and why would or could God possibly wish for and rejoice over her demise? That is, the $64,000 question, see sidebar below, a nation with teeth like swords. P97 to a degree, we have already dealt with this question above, but, it is an issue that bears repeating. As stated, several times already, each image of Babylon the Great studied thus far carries with it its own profile or set of parameters and identifiers, each set crafted and designed to carefully delineate between the two. Clearly, Chapter 17 is reference to the world of the Romans, on multiple fronts, old and new, religious and political, ancient and modern, more specifically, Babylon the Great is the religious persona imparted to the woman on account of the great whore. The woman being an ancient city, specifically, that great city, well-known, powerful and domineering, while the beast refers first to the Roman Empire, controlled by the woman as a political entity, under the spell of her political persona, and to an individual, one of seven kings, who is yet to come although he will come with well-defined root dating back to that now to fun chem 5. 
On the other hand, Babylon the Great in Chapter 18 carries a set of characteristics which could only be applied to an entity in our times or beyond one that is strictly last days if for no other reason than that there was none before Martin Luther, rebel Roman Catholic and German monk, whose foot could possibly ever have fit the print God has cast for her. By way of reiteration, a specific profile is given, which sets this Babylon the Great apart, Reverend 18. 1. She is strictly end times. 2. She is cosmopolitan, and as such, she figures prominently in the global and international affairs, including economics, industry, and politics, for the most part, without pressure, as in the kind that always follows military conquest primarily for the purposes of economic exploitation. 3. She has a definite bearing on global economics, and is heavily involved in international trade. 4. Global economic well-being is directly tied to and dependent upon her economic strength and stability. 5. Being highly religious, she leads the world into fornication, service to false gods, in the name of the living God in addition to her own brand of Christianity, deceiving the nations with sorcery, heavy drug or narcotics trafficking. 23. 6. She is enormously wealthy through free trade with the nations. 7. The nations are enormously wealthy by trading freely with her. 8. She is haughty, extremely arrogant, cocky and self-absorbed, egocentric, materialist, overly self-satisfied. 9. She thinks she is invincible, impervious to conquest and or pain and suffering in light of her industry and military might, able to beat anybody on the battlefield. 10. Her swift, thorough and complete destruction from which she will never recover will spark an irreversible, crushing, world-spanning recession, plunging all the nations into an economic spiral of unparalleled proportions. The eventual demolition of the Soviets has been forecast. It is a sure thing. A done deal in the eyes and mind of God, the destruction and subjugation of the Jews' perpetually hostile Arabic Islamic neighbors and worst enemies is set in stone, and is therefore, certain. But how are we to get to and through the final chapters of history according to God's formulation, as spelled out in the prophets and here in the Apocalypse, without one mention of perhaps the greatest nation of all time? I say again, is that rational? We know how he feels about Russia. We know his disposition toward the world of the Arab, and toward the world of men, in general, and we know well his plan for Rome, Vatican City and the Roman Catholic Church, equally as well as we know, understand, and wait expectantly in anticipation that he will soon fulfill and finish his designs for his ancient people, the Jews, but what of America and the Americans? If then Rome represents only the most dubious of possibilities in terms of an identity for Babylon the Great to whom else then, most logically, might Babylon refer? Given no known qualifiers from the past, who at this late hour might better fit the description here, than does the U.S.? Interestingly, except for the one problematic passage in Isaiah chapter 18, there appears to be not one passage in all of Scripture that gives clearly defined mention of this wondrous, end-times nation the only remaining, fully functional superpower and yet, without doubt, it is highly unlikely that so potent and so present a force upon the face of the earth as is these United States could ever escape heaven's notice. It sits and figures far too prominently upon the world stage as a stabilizing force, 
of a sort, on the one hand and is an essential ingredient in the survival of the Jew on the other. Without the U.S., whatever its problems and shortcomings and there are many, as we have seen and will see there would likely be no spreading of the gospel message to all the world, tainted and twisted though that gospel is, all other things being such as they are. How then is one to account for this apparent gross oversight? No words of commendation, no expressions of approval, no anticipation of its future existence, nor is there any expectation as to any good that it might do for humanity in general, for the Jew in particular, or for the cause of Christ. Why? How can this be, given that it does in fact play so vital a role in the preservation of the people of the Messiah? Could it be that, contrary to current and long-standing trains of thought, so grand a, slight, shall we say, is meant to imply or to signify that perhaps God might not be as impressed with this great industrial, technologically advanced and sophisticated giant of a world power, as we in that, arrogantly are with ourselves, it is a Christian nation though, is it not? If so, why might that be? Why then might he not think highly of a nation such as ours, who owes its very being and survival thus far, to his all-powerful hand? See sidebar below. The Might of America, page 98. Thus, there can be little doubt that America is a nation blessed of God, but has she truly responded in kind? Likewise, there can be no argument as but that, America is firmly fixed within the eschatological plans of God for the end times for better or for worse, though she is not specifically mentioned by name. If she were destroyed today, this instant, would the jubilation of Revelation chapter 18 be justified or warranted, on her behalf? Would she at all be missed? Probably, or maybe, the best way to approach analysis of the enigma of America's glaring omission from direct mention within the annals of biblical prophecy in addition to her potential as a contender for the title Babylon the Great is to consider the nation in light of what we shall call its chief constituencies or component parts. That is, the secular and the religious or Christian and that against the backdrop of what we know to be the word, mind, and will of the Almighty. Secular America. While we begin on the premise that God cannot possibly be pleased with what he sees in either camp, there can be no debate as but that, secular America is definitely not within the sphere of his favor. Moreover, it could be argued that secular America under the weight of all its wonders, each far surpassing that of ancient Babylon, and perhaps all the other seven wonders of the world, combined, is characterized by an attitude and atmosphere of self-indulgence, utter godlessness, packaged in an air of repugnant arrogance and haughtiness, roughly, if not altogether, identical to and therefore, no less repulsive than the sight of ancient Babylon, in the eyes and nostrils of him before whom we must all ultimately give an accounting. One guesses, therefore, that, if the truth be known, America on both its temporal and spiritual fronts represents everything that God abhors in a nation, notwithstanding the fragranced history laced with palatable lies that evangelicals, fundamentalists feed on regularly. How so, you ask? When he brought those first boatloads of Puritans and pilgrims over, on the Mayflower and others, the devil hitched a ride, and he has been here ever since, figuring prominently, actively engaged and involved in American culture. As with the Israelites, God made the decision to separate and set them aside as his peculiar people. He left the decision as to what course they would follow, however, up to them. 
The horrendous amount of anti-God oppression, repression suppression and deprivation of all non-whites particularly the Africans, for over 250 years, up to this very hour, truth be told, in the name of God, makes it plain for all to see which path the early Christian settlers and the new nation took. It still follows that path as of today, June 22, 2013. Consider. Nimrod in the USA, Anglo-Saxon, Celt. Birth of a new nation. As if the divisiveness and backbiting dragged along to the new world by the first settlers, from England, was not enough, in 1776, following years of agitation and disgruntlement, the descendants of those early settlers being perhaps brash and arrogant, declared their independence from the kingdom which, until then, knew no sunset. That same bunch of cocky colonists went on to declare moreover, that the holding of a specific truth was deemed to be self-evident. All men under God, they said, are created equal, for they fancied themselves to be Christians. And so, were indeed destined to be different from all other nations insofar as their system of governance was to be based or patterned, not after that of other nations, but upon the very word of the living God. Having at this time held Africans and their American-born descendants in the cruelty of abject subjugation and bondage since around 1619, arrival of the first Africans as indentured servants, 1629, African slavery was officially institutionalized, their hypocrisy was immediately made manifest in that, in the name of God, if only by their practice, all men was deemed to apply to none, other than to themselves the, white, men are Caucasians of America. It was these Christians' hellish determination and desire that anyone else was to be excluded, the Native Americans, the Eskimo, the Mexican, anyone whose complexion, features, bone structure, speech pattern, etc., was not discernibly and decidedly white, Anglo-Saxon, or Celtic. By this practice, furthermore, the God of their invocation, the Holy One of the Jews, was effectively judged to have been in error, as this young nation justified its actions continuing in the footsteps of its colonial, ancestral roots on grounds that the shape of the black man's head was such that his skin color made him naturally inferior to the white man. In so many words, the idea held nationally was that in the black man, God basically created a two-legged animal, an ape, or, monkey, as white people around the world are still to this day prone to declare, publicly, which only resembled a man. Their prayers are even said to have sometimes included thanksgiving to God, that they were white, not black men, sound familiar? Jesus said that the hypocritical Pharisees often prayed and thanked God that they were not publicans or poor men. White, Nimrod, nation at war with God. Thus, this new nation, under God, carried over its colonially spun practice of numbing any sensitivity as to the African's humanity by numbering him as one among his cattle, pigs and horses in the name of God for, said they in the presence of God, in their stubborn determination to maintain the status quo, and their self-assigned superiority complex, thou hast not made him equal to us. He is meant for the misuse and abuse of white people, one prominent 40s, 50s era politician is purported to have remarked later, doing so with glee. At the height of those years dubbed Jim Crow, the American-styled period of totally unwarranted racial injustices, hatred, cruelty, and incivility akin to South African apartheid and predating but coexisting briefly with Hitler's Nazism. 
In fact, some of the tricks of Hitler's trade were actually borrowed from the racist playbook and practices of the self-righteous Anglo-Celtic Americans who took such strong exception ostensibly, at least, in the end to his practices. Undeniably, it was the Christian among them, warts and all, whatever their shortcomings, who ultimately instigated the basis for the war which ignited between the states, which eventually led to his freedom. However, with the exception maybe of the Baptists and the Pentecostals in the North, practically all the white churches and denominations were privy to the practices of secular white society, in the South, they were completely dominated and controlled by secular whites. The formation of the present-day Association of Baptist Churches known as the Southern Baptist Convention, or Conference, was in response to Southern farmers and slaveholders who, while they insisted upon participation in preaching of the gospel around the world, steadfastly refused to abdicate their slaves, in order to remain a part of the Northern Association of Baptist Churches. For a nation heralded as Christian, by its churches, around the world, its attitudes and practices were and they remain to this day a flagrant fly in the face to every lesson relative to racism, racial pride, prejudice, and racial and social injustice God sought to model to the world via his churches, beginning with the discriminatory practices by the Jews against Greek widows, and the insufferable racial intolerance of Peter toward Cornelius. Thus, Peter's failure to learn from his master's parable of the Good Samaritan, and from his personal examples in his dealings with the Syrophoenician woman, the Samaritans and the woman at the well, and, the Roman centurion, was not allowed to stand. The hell-spun, racially segregated white churches of America persist in their failure to learn from any of these lessons. The injustices of which they are guilty are infinitely more grave, and thus, they are that much more damning. To whom much is given, much is required. Hence, one might say that the worldly white society and its agenda was the white church's guide and motivation in early colonial days, throughout the antebellum years of the new nation and the civil war and up to this very hour much more so than the Bible or the Christ. In addition, where God, without question, expected a high level of representation in pagan eyes, he found instead a self-exalted white man, who immediately sold himself to the devil, to diabolical self-serving concerns, clearly driven by his own greed. On that basis, he was a hell-bent creature, totally void of any kind of a requisite social conscience that might have led him to act in the interests of the widows, strangers, poor dot etc. He alone was responsible for intentionally depriving to his sole benefit, in defiance of what he knew was, is the will of God. Where he sought a bountiful harvest of precious souls from all the various people groups and cultures with whom the newly arrived white Europeans rubbed shoulders, he was served instead with the sight of a 17th century white Nimrod, determined to set himself in opposition and competition with his Maker, robbing him of the souls he wanted by denying all access and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, most particularly the Africans. Having exhausted himself, sparing no expense hunting them down for slaves, the new nation as a whole had no intention of ever leading the enslaved Africans, or anyone else enslaved, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Slavery is all the heaven you will ever know, black slaves are said to have been told, by their Christian masters. Thus, like their black ancient predecessor in Nimrod the Cushite, this new nation of white folk, and its interests, non-Christians, as well as the overwhelming majority of all white churches and Christians, was, and remains to this day, quite literally, 
at enmity with the god of their founding, and his interests within ten years of the establishment of its first colonial settlement. Oh, the daring, one might say, of the white American Protestant Christians who now call themselves by the name, conservative evangelical, and, fundamentalist. From the very beginning, they quite literally sold themselves out to the devil practicing and propagating the evil of a hellish abduction, oppression and repression, in the name of the Lord. They effectively stabbed their savior in the back, and while the uneasy natives had begun to eye their encroachment with suspicion, the eastern Indians saw the knife coming early toward their backs, albeit, too late, many if not most whole groups are said to have been forced to move off their homelands, if they were not slaughtered and wiped out altogether, without mercy, by greedy, land-grabbing whites Lenny Lenape, for example. They double-crossed Africans, and later, the Chinese, and proceeded to do everything they could to make slaves of everyone else Africans, Indians, and Mexicans. One may rest assured, theirs is a treachery and a diabolical duplicity that Almighty God cannot wait to requite. The white Anglo, Celtic, Gothic, Nimrods of Babylon the Great will be given their just due. As he works feverishly, openly, to rid himself of the shackles of God, and to set himself free from the influences of his word, the Bible, the watching world needs to beware, and, to be wary. Having branded themselves as conservative Christians, their bigoted mindset, predominantly southern white Celt, has no capacity and thus no inclination to run a democratic, free society to the benefit of everyone. In addition, a society such as that of America, absent its Judeo-Christian heritage, is a society in light of its military might and its nuclear stockpiles no nation anywhere on earth ever wants to see entirely in the hands of a people dominated by the mindset of these American white racists and bigots. Known also as self-described white nationalists, these people are every bit as implacable as are the so-called radical Muslims, and every whit as unstable, and, untrustworthy, in terms of their determination to relate socially to people of other races and of other cultures particularly when those races and cultures have something they want or need, but either cannot or will not pay for. As shown by the Charlottesville, VA, Wisconsin, in 2020, and the 1st of June 2021 Capitol Hill riots, when they stormed the White House, they are prone to violence to the point of death if, in their estimation, that is what it takes to get what they want. Their professions of faith in God do not mean a thing as has been shown. While the dominate group is without question the Saxons, and whereas it was the Saxons who won the civil war which set the Africans free and, while he, the bigoted largely Celtic, Gothic South cannot subsist without the Saxons the Saxons have time and time again shown themselves unable to resist or keep themselves free from the taint and the stink from the fart of bigoted, racist reason. No matter how many steps the Saxons may take in the right directions, in terms of its efforts to patch relations with other races, at some point, you can always count on it, they will always fall flat on their faces before the otherwise socially inferior, hot-headed conservative Celts. Furthermore, then, we can rightly infer that the clerics and clergymen of the early white churches were by all accounts and measures largely like lazy, worthless, sorry lapdogs with no bark and no bite, sound asleep, at the switch. If indeed the nation were Christian, then their job it would have been to spin, oversee and officiate the administration of the novel concept, one nation, under God, in which all men are created equal, 
ensuring that the concept did in fact encompass all men. As far as one can tell from the historical record, none of the biggest names in church ministry either throughout the antebellum years or the years of Jim Crow, which officially ended in the late 60s and early 70s, one might say, ever stepped forward to cry out for justice, or, to urge and to assist in leading the nation to a successful conclusion to its oppression, suppression and repression of the Africans or anyone else deemed non-Anglo, Celtic in nationality and absolute must, for any new nation led by the spirit of the living God, remember Wilberforce and the UK abolitionists. None, or few, if any, came alongside Dr. King in the civil rights years, as evinced by the recent acquittal of George Zimmerman for killing an unarmed teenager named Trayvon Martin whatever the outward appearances on the surface things have changed little in the hearts of white Americans, across the board. The white public still bends over backwards to buy and spread lies about the slaying. Coke Industries is funding the drive to pay Zimmerman's legal fees, and, now a gun advocacy group has voluntarily rushed forward to fork over $12,000 so that Zimmerman can buy himself more guns. Through it all, the white church and its white Christians, sits mum, in tacit approval, justifying it all. Even Dr. Billy Graham, having gone on record publicly, admits to having done little or nothing throughout his many years of ministry, prior to 1985, when, for whatever the reason he appears to have suffered, a change of heart. One wonders why considering that all indications are, he did not and does not believe much of what he preached. For this reason, then, far from being the nation that modern-day evangelical and fundamentalist preachers claim, led by God-fearing men and women, the colonies in truth made the transition to new nation in a state of spiritual, spirit-less antagonism to divine authority. Effectively thumbing their noses at God and His will for all mankind, they were then, and they are now, in this 21st century, effectively at war with God. The gospel shots they fire around the world, are not the biblical gospel of the biblical Christ. Rather, it is the cleverly perverted, short-changed gospel according to their own worldviews, and or, their several denominational preferences. Their leaders, or many among the founding fathers, were deists and religious people whose lives, not unlike that of professing Christians today, were never subject wholly to the word and will of God. Like the Laodicean Christians, Reverend Three, they went only so far in their walks and professions of faith, but failed, no flat refused, to go any farther, see sidebar below, Francis Swaggart, page 98. Like Pergamos and Thyatira, they were wholly committed to unbiblical and therefore spiritually unhealthy compromise with secular white society which ultimately controlled their being, their thinking and their behavior. All that said then, we are herewith brought to pop quiz time. Given that many a nation has at one time or another subjugated and exploited others to their advantage, and there have been numerous civil wars for one reason or the other, what nation is it, other than the USA, which has ever taken up arms against itself in order to decide the fate and future of those it enslaved? One thinks it safe to conclude that there has been nothing like it in the history of mankind. Given the Anglo-Christian's leading role, one might also conclude that the Civil War was fought per the will of God in order to right a colossal, hideous social injustice, affected and perpetuated in his name, which was not otherwise destined to die of natural causes. Okay, my friends, that concludes another edition of the Bible Prophecy Masterclass.
Be sure to tune in next time for episode number 12, when we will delve more into the question of what God sees when he looks at the United States of America, as opposed to the worldviews of professing American Christians, whether so-called progressives or conservatives. As always we ask that you tell others, give us a like, and plan to be with us next time. Until then, may the good Lord bless and keep you.